Okay. Do a little journey to the desert now. I've been entrusted with a sacred task to write a book called Untold, A History of the Wives of Prophet Muhammad. For years, I've used the phrase, use me for the purpose that thy wisdom chooses. Use me for the purpose that thy wisdom chooses. And also, not my will, but thy will. This kind of work, writing a book like I have, is an enormous paradox. Yes, it's a book that I wrote with the help of an Arabic scholar, an Islamic scholar, and a wonderful editor from Texas who looked at every word I wrote. And sometimes she'd say, well, maybe the Sufis know what you're talking about, but I don't. (laughs) Very wise woman. So I had her help. I studied Arabic. I read dozens of books on this subject. And my years as a Sufi practitioner on the path of Sufism were very helpful. Also, one who deeply honored and searched out what the feminine might become and might, what it might be. But this is a message, and I am the vehicle. So in that way, paradoxically, this really isn't my book. And so my work is to be as clear a vehicle for this to come through as possible and to stay as humble as possible with this task. So these are the paradoxical things that I've been carrying in relation to this job, this assignment, this uh, wonderful unfolding. The great spirit of the feminine wants to be known, as Taj spoke and as Rani played and told us. Okay, so this is the work I'm supposed to do, but who do I think I am doing this kind of work? I mean, that, that question became a koan for me this summer. And uh, I came up with a poem called, Who Do You Think You Are? Now, the first part of it came quite quickly, but the second part of it took me three months to answer. Who do you think you are? Who said you could do this? Who are your ancestors? professors, godparents, your stewards of the seen and unseen. Locate for us your committee of yes. List your lectures, your papers, the degrees which announce your right to write about the prophet's wives. Who is your imam? Where is his mosque? If you are unable to answer a curious sister, who do you think you are imagining Khadija? If there's no one to speak for you, you must answer this yourself. I am a pilgrim, a pen with child's heart. I am a pilgrim, a pen with a child's heart. 
following the foremothers through doors shut on centuries of stolen words, across floors now hushed in Saudi cement, down steps to the cellar filled with the hijaz story jars, unsealed the jars open their mouths and speak to me. I listen. I splash water on my face, as Khadija did. Sometimes I speak as harshly as Hafsa. I ask forgiveness in the way of Aisha. Far from the great river of my birth, as Maria was from hers, in Zainab's wake, I swim amid the names of God. Like each of these women, I touch my forehead to the ground and say, no God, but God. I am here with a message. Conversation with these women will never end. Conversation with these women will never end. Okay, I, I want to talk about one particular woman that was with Muhammad today, Um Salama, one of his wives. But before I begin, I want to speak to what Wali Ali said this morning in terms of the Quran. And you can come up to me afterwards if you want this information. But I think it's important to mention uh, that Camille Helminski has written a beautiful book called The Light of Dawn. And it picks out the verses which uh, are energetically and uh, that are connected with the work that we're doing. Um, so you don't have to go through the difficult verses. Uh, Leila Bakhtiar just wrote a Quran. She's the first woman who I mean, translated the Quran. She's the first woman who has done a translation as such. And it has a beautiful introduction. So those are two books that I, I would recommend if you wish to you know, follow the track and become a little more comfortable with the actual process of uh, what's known as Islam. So Prophet Muhammad was married to Khadija for 25 years. She was his only wife. They had a family. They lived in Mecca. Then she died, and Prophet Muhammad, because of uh, being persecuted by the people in Mecca who were running the city, uh, he emigrated to Medina. And at that time, he made uh, numerous alliances. He married women who were widows because women needed protection in those days. He married women to forge alliances. If there was a group over here that he was having difficulty with because they were uh, attacking him, if he married the daughter of that group, then they would become family. So these are some of the reasons that uh, he married. Now, uh, in the case of Um Salama, she became a widow of one of his really close uh, friends and companions. And so he offered to marry her, and she said, no, 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 this isn't a good idea. I'm too old, I have children, and I'm jealous. And he said, that's okay. Allah will take care, care of these problems. And she was a smart, articulate, 
a woman who fasted and practiced and had a very powerful impact on his life and on uh, the work that took place when Muhammad was alive. Um, if I, how much time do I have, Shabda? Almost 12 minutes. 12 minutes? Okay, so I'm going to skip the part about her going across the Red Sea. And, um, <laughs> you have to buy the book. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to, because I'm supposed to be uh, working from this book, I'm going to read to you a little bit about it, about Um Salama from the actual book. As wife of Muhammad, Um Salama was a leader. She was intelligent, well-spoken, and unafraid to stand for what she believed. She handed down 378 hadith. Now, the hadith are the actual words that supposedly were spoken by Muhammad or his companions that make up the history of this time. Once she confronted Umar, now this is a wonderful story, demanding he stop meddling in the business of Muhammad's women. She did more than that. Scholar Linda Kern translates the confrontation. Umar remarks later that Um Salama really shook him up, or literally seized him a seizing. She broke him from something that he was experiencing as a painful state of agitation. The Hadith gives us that. So that really gives us a sense of the subtlety with which this woman was working. Her remarks pierced his agitated state and calmed him down a bit. This passage of Hadith reveals her strength and ability to work with difficult people. Um Salama was self-disciplined. She fasted every Monday, Thursday, and Friday and kept the midnight optional prayers, making her inner life strong. She was bright and dependable. Referred to by the women as Um Salama the Wise, she was highly regarded. The most famous story of her wisdom is the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, a crucial moment in Muhammad's life, where he enacted a peace treaty with the leaders of Mecca. The trials upset his followers, who felt that Muhammad had given away too much in negotiation. He was then moved to bring the group to a deeper commitment. Each man made a pledge. Now, I want to speak of what this pledge is, because when you're reading history, it all seems very kind of, uh, uh, how would I describe it, two-dimensional. But what it was called was the Ridwan Pledge. And what, as I understand it, happened was Prophet Muhammad asked 1,400 men to take hand with him. And as Sufis, that means that he initiated them. So what happens when we experience initiation? Well, often, at least in my experience, after initiation, there is a test. There's something that comes up that really pushes against that deepening and forces us to go to another level with it. Um, so in this case, they all acted out as a group. And, Muhammad, and 
Umar was the, was the fiercest in his acting out. He felt Muhammad was absolutely wrong. Okay, so we're going to go forward with this. But the feeling of that unified moment of trust was soon over. They were tested more severely by the Meccans, so they got pushed against, right? They were out in the desert, and they wanted to make this pilgrimage, and Prophet Muhammad was negotiating, which was something unheard of. They protested when Muhammad signed a peace accord which seemed to offer the pilgrims almost nothing, stating that they would abort their pilgrimage to Mecca that year. He then asked them to perform the ritual sacrifice as if they were in the Hajj. His clear directive to the 1,400 people was coldly ignored. Imagine. In this crisis, he went to Umm Salama and asked for advice. Now, to me, it is so remarkable that history has preserved this little piece. This is all Hadith, these words. She said, Prophet of God, do you approve of this? Go out and speak not a word to any of them until you have slaughtered your fattened camel and summoned your shaver to shave your hair. So what she's asking them to do is to go to the place that is so primal. It's a place where I can, I can only describe it as being this ocean of hair and blood where the men suddenly felt themselves again in a very pr primitive kind of way. And she understood that that had to happen before the next step could happen. When the people saw Muhammad complete this, the actions he had told them to, the stunned mood was broken. Okay, here's the poem. Um Salama at Hudaybiyah. One. They come on foot, camelback and mule. They don't know what they came for as they crouch in the sand, a pilgrimage to nowhere. Those sullen men, hollow with doubt. Two. They speak a vow next to the yellow tree. Each of a thousand men take hand with Allah's messenger. Each man offers the Ridwan pledge. I see it all. Three, the cooking smoke changes direction, shifts back, carries the words that burn my eyes. He's heard the talk, leader astray, asks me what to do. I mention the ritual, head shaving, sharp blade that polishes the scalp as the hair falls or animal offering. A sharp blade of blood burst in the throat of the ram, our old way of joining. Tribal men know this erases doubt, so each man speaks directly to Allah, remembering why he's here. Remembering why he's here. Revelation confirmed the messenger's strategy with a chapter of victory, Al-Fath, Quran 48, 1 through 29. Allah sent down the Sakina, which is Shekinah, of course, in Hebrew. Allah sent down the Sakina, tranquil presence, into the hearts of those who stay true to a trust.
It can be said that Umm Salama guided the key moment in the negotiations and support of a crucial peace treaty. It was the beginning of a revolutionary approach to dispute. A historian reports, no previous victory in Islam was greater than this. There was nothing but battle when men met. But when there was armistice and war was abolished and men met in safety and consulted together, none talked about Islam intelligently without entering into it." End of quote. And I have to say the word Islam in the sense here means peaceful surrender, means having a sense of safety and just bowing to the hugeness of the universe. That is what was meant by it at that time, I believe. So that gives you a little taste of Um Salama. I'm going to end with um, a spoken word peace, which um, Shabda always smiles when I do smoking words. So. Okay, so my, my sons helped me get on this path. Um, it seemed that um, certain people around their age group, their eyes would glaze over after a certain time of my uh, reading poetry, and so I, I just picked it up a little and worked on the spoken word, and they finally gave me the, the okay that I was respectable to do it. <laughs> Wasn't going to embarrass them. Too much. Okay, so now we're talking about the end of Um Salama's life. Um, Ali is the brother, uh, the son-in-law of Prophet Muhammad, married to his, his daughter Fatima, and uh, Hassan and Hussein are the grandchildren, and they were all they were all murdered. Uh, so she witnessed all the things that happened after the Prophet died which generally uh, there was quite a, a chaotic world that replaced the one that he lived in. Okay. No, I don't think I need it. Thanks. Angel of Death, Um Solomon's last words. Now the angel of death, he just went past, came slow left fast. Here's the word at last. Seems my library cards come update due. My age is 88 less 2. He said the gate to paradise is left ajar, told me it's not so far, but before I go, that angel wants to know, who's going to take the weight? Now, as for that, it's been my prayer to check my life in anywhere. Haven't seen Rasul in 50 years. About death, I'm clear, no fear. I drink the word of God and handle all this freight. I commiserate with everyone because Ali is, Hassan is, Hussein is dead, and people dumb down all the good things Mohammed said. And I'm the only wife left, and I tell Hadith straight while the angel asks, who's going to take the weight? Seems like dying is a reality bender with pinpricks of unruly splendor. Here's the blessing descender. Oh, Allah. I surrender. Slack the pass it on rule. I'm going to leave Earth school. I'd be a fool to stay. Now you've got Koran and a compassionate plan. Listen up. I want a violence ban. You hear me? That means no archery against your neighbor. Put down that spear. Take a look in the mirror. 
follow the prophet's real words. He wanted you all to feel safe. It's never too late to throw down the weight. Here I go on over to the garden gate. Just watch me ease on over to the garden gate. Allahu, 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 Allahu. Thank you.